You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Since the inception of our nation, people have chased the American dream. Most of us even heard it said today. I think Dick even mentioned uh, the American dream even in his remarks. In the early 1600s, and you'll see a slide up here in a minute. In the early 1600s, give me that first one. You're going to see a picture of the Mayflower contract. And in the early 1600s, about 1620, what had happened is the, uh, the people in England that uh, we'll call the pilgrims were feeling very oppressed. They had moved uh, from England to the Netherlands in search of religious freedom. And so what happened is they then, I think there was a number, I think was about 102, that finally boarded the Mayflower, and then in 1620, they set sail for the states. Now, interestingly, and something I would point out to you, it's hard for you to see, but uh, there's a list of signators that are on here, and you don't get the full group of them. But there were 40 males that signed this declaration, this, uh, this compact. And basically the compact was, a, in essence, a contract. And what they were talking about was the fact that we've moved here, and largely why they moved there is they were being oppressed by King James the first, and they were being threatened to be arrested and imprisoned if they didn't uh, take on and, and accept and practice the rituals of the Church of England. Now, the reason I bring this up is that if you could see the bottom right-hand side, like I say, we couldn't capture it all, but on the right-hand side is actually a signature of one of my ancestors, Edward Doty. And so, before my grandkids get too boastful about having somebody on a Mayflower, it's fair for you to know that he came as an indentured servant. He didn't have the money from the trip. Some people think maybe he had a checkered background. But what it, the way it was, he came with a, with a man named Hopkins and then had a seven-year uh, agreement to work for him to then became the free man, if you will, without, without those obligations. So that was, a, that was to them was an American dream unfolding as they came to this nation in search of that religious freedom. And if you looked at that, com- that compact, I challenge you to go home and look it up, but you'll see heavy in all the front end of that contract is it's talking about their relationship with God. That was what their compact was built on. In 1776, you'll see another slide, and, and this is when the, this, this American dream started to unfold again because what happened to people that were here in the States they were, they were under the oppression, again, of England, of the heavy taxes and the laws that were there. We see pictures where they're, where they're meeting to sign that declaration to say, we deserve the opportunity to live and experience this American dream. Now, they, they didn't know what to call it then, but it was the same thing they were talking about. In 1928, Herbert Hoover was running for office. He was running for the office of president. And you'll see the picture of him here. This is what he had to say. I just took a little clip from it. It said that our party has reduced ours, its increased capacity, 
It's silenced discontent. It's put the proverbial chicken in every pot and a car in every backyard to boot. So that was his campaign thing. What he was doing, he was again, he was painting that opportunity, this American dream for people. That was the American dream at the time. So in the 1950s, we see some iconic photos and advertisements. This would be a classic. This is what, a 50, 50, 52 Ford, something like that. But you see in the background of the picture, you see the family. And it's interesting because these ads and these iconic photos of this quote unquote, you got the house, you got the car, you got the nice family. They become kind of this, this iconic picture of the American dream. And they use these kind of ads to sell everything from automobiles to cigarettes. You know, everything in between. Because again, they were saying, this is how you can be a part of that American dream. I've heard it said even more recently, the American dream today. What's the American dream today? Well, it's a, it's a nice family. It's a nice home. Two cars, but I need a three-car garage because i got all this other stuff. And, and then some credit cards. You know, that we start to see these kind of pictures. I would ask you this question this morning. What would be the characterization of your American dream? Think about that for a minute. If you're, if you're trying to get in your mind, what is my American dream? Because your may, yours may be something different. But what is yours? So we're going to spend a few minutes today in Luke 18. We're going to pick it up at verse 18. And we're going to hear these words of a young man that seemed by most standards to be living a dream life of that time. He was a fellow that seemed to have it all, but what he did is with one exception, he had this one haunting question that he kept asking. And he, and he decided, I need to go find out for myself the answer to this one question. If you're in Luke 18, verse 18, this is where he starts. A certain ruler, some of your scriptures may say a rich young ruler, ask him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, this principal character of ours, this, this rich young man, was the principal character in his scripture besides Jesus, of course. And he was a practicing Jew. And then, then as in now, the Jewish population, it was really muddled because what they were trying to figure out is, and back in those days, they kind of thought, they talked about this afterlife. And you hear people talk about that now. They use some of the same terminology. They were talking about this afterlife. And, but it was pretty murky about what was going to happen in the afterlife. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a clear picture. What they knew was is they were, there were things that they needed to do if they were good practicing Jew. Things they needed to do, for instance, were to keep the seven laws of Noah. If you don't know what those are, go look them up. I had to go back and say, seven laws of Noah. I had to go back and think about that and go, okay, I read that. But what you see is the seven laws of Noah, to a great extent, they really track with what came later in the Ten Commandments that were handed down from God to Moses. And after physical death, the Jews would go to what they called the place of the dead. Nothing like the detail, because really when we, you know, what we've, if you're a Christian, you've been doing this for a while, you've listened to sermons, you've watched things, you realize that in the New Testament, we have this great depiction, we have much more clarity about what heaven looks like that they just did not have. They were, they were going to go to a place of the dead with some detail yet to be determined, it seemed like at the time. 
So his question, and frankly it's a question that most of us have when, when I do funerals, I almost always make the point that the thing about a funeral is it's hard to come to a, a service, a memorial service, a funeral of somebody else's, and not ask yourself, well, what's going to happen to me? What's my life going to be like? Will I have eternal life? Or do I just kind of turn into dust and it's all over? But see, those are significant parts of our decision when we think about, will I live eternally? Is that what's going to happen to me? And it's obvious that this young ruler, he needed answers to the very same question because he was going to come to Jesus also. And so he had already asked him, he, he said, he, he called him a good teacher. He said, good teacher, what is it I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he goes on, verse 19, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. It's kind of an interesting statement. He said, no one is good. The only person that's good is God alone. I wonder sometimes if he was thinking, although you don't know it, oh, that's me. Because he was. He was God-man, wasn't he? And so as a reality, he said, no one's good except God. And then he says to the young man, he said, you know the, com the commandments. The commandments. And you'll look them up. You can find them there in Deuteronomy, Exodus, pretty, pretty plain. You know the commandments. Well, he starts to recite him, Jesus, to the young man. He said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. So the young man has a retort. He answers him. He said, well, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He's describing the fact that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a moral person. I've kept the laws of Noah. I've kept the laws of Moses. I've been doing that kind of stuff. But see, it's interesting when you look at the Ten Commandments that four of the commandments of the Ten are based on our relationship with God. Okay? Four of them are based on our vertical relationship with God. The other six commandments are based on our relationship with others. I find it interesting that when you do what I just did, what do you do? You, in essence, really, those Ten Commandments have informed the shape of the cross. But these six had relationships to man. But if you think about it, he only ticked off five. He only ticked off five. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false witness. Honor your father and mother. Well, the sixth one that he didn't talk about that is also about the relationship with others was do not covet or want what other people have. Do not covet or want what other people have. See, he understood that when he started dealing with the stuff of life, that this was going to be a stumbling block for this young man. It reminds me of the conversation that, that where Jesus was at the well, the, his followers had left for a while. There was a lady that came in the middle of the day to get water. It was unusual for that to happen at that time of the day, but she did it on purpose. And as he came up, he started, she came up, he started a conversation. He said, he said, uh, well, where, where is your husband? And she said, well, I, I don't have a husband. And he answered, well, you're right. You don't have a husband. 
you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. Now, the thing I think that's interesting, whether you're talking about this rich young ruler or the lady that came to the well, is Jesus has a way of seeing through stuff. And isn't it amazing? Because he sees through stuff that we just miss. You know, Karen and I talk about that a lot because I'm kind of a trusting soul. And, and you know, and there's things that, that she'll see because she has she's oftentimes more perceptive, more discerning than me. But in, in Jesus' situation, what he does, he's seen through the lady at the well. He's seen through what is on the mind of this young prince. And guess what? He saw him then and he still sees him today. Because a lot of times what we think is, hey, I got some stuff, but ha, I covered up pretty good. Nobody walks by my computer when it's on. I got that hot key. I can turn it right off. I can do all the things that I need to do to live under the radar. But we can't do that. Jesus is saying, see, I understand where this kid's coming from. When Jesus heard this in verse 22, he said to them, he said, see, you still lack one thing. He said, this is what I want you to do, Mr. Rich Young Ruler. I want you to go sell everything you have, and I want you to give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It's kind of an interesting statement because as I read this multiple times through the week, what he's really saying is, he said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do a swap with you. If you, in fact, will do that in this life, if you'll take care of other people, if you'll do that in this life, believe me, I will lay up treasure for you in heaven. Everything you have, he said, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. See, we often think that we can hide that condition of our heart. But see, when a simple definition of sin for me is sin is anything that can get between you and God. When you have something that can, can interfere and get between you and your relationship with the Lord, that is sin in my eyes. It's what separates us. In Matthew 22, Jesus was responding to the Pharisee, and the Pharisee asked him a question. See, we've been talking about the commandments that, that were mentioned a minute ago to the rich young ruler. Well, see, the Pharisee came up to Jesus, and he said, Hey, hey, hey. He said, Answer me this. Or maybe if you're a Batman fan, it'd be riddle me this. He says, what is the greatest commandment of all? He thought, boy, this is a good trap right here. This would be hard for him to answer. And in Matthew 22, he says, Jesus said to him, he said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He said, that's the first one. That's the first important commandment. And he said the second one is this. He said that you would then love your neighbor as yourself. And really that's what he's starting to talk now about to the, to the rich young ruler. He said, you know, what are you, what are you concerned with? What is it that, that occupies your heart? Verse 23 said that when the rich young ruler, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And what did he hear? He said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor. He was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. Have you ever heard the story about 
the frog. And what you do is you can put a frog in water and then you start to turn the heat up and they all just sit there and slowly cook to death. You heard that story? You know it's a load of bull? The frog will jump out, okay? But most of us have heard that, right? And it's kind of the same thing that we're dealing with here because the reality is this, and this, I'm gonna, this is like your study assignment if you're an academician and you like Bible study. This is something I would challenge you to do. Go back and look because the story I've heard is it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. So the story I've heard over and over again, preached over and over again, is that what happens is there's this gate in Jerusalem. It's called the needle. And so what happens is that they would shut the big gates at night. And so if you're going to go in at, in the day, daytime, they'd have the big gates open. They'd shut them at night. They had this little gate. And if you were going to come in with your camel, he had to take off all the pack, everything that was on him. He had to get all that off. He had to get down on his knees. You barely could just squeak him under there. It's very difficult to get a camel in there. Now, I won't tell you if that's fact or fiction, but I can't find it. About 300 years ago, best I can find out, we started to hear this story about this needle gate. But most historians say, we don't know anything about a needle gate. What is often said now, what I read, is that what Jesus was doing is he was, he was trying to make a point. Uh, the Jews at the time talked about an elephant and a needle. But he wasn't talking about an elephant, he used a camel. But what he was saying is, Whatever it is, let me tell you, it is very, very, very difficult for a rich man to enter heaven because his mind is usually not on things of God. It's usually on his wealth and protecting things and taking advantage of people and all of what those things are. But see, what he's doing, he's, he's setting up what he's getting ready to tell him here in just a minute. Because regardless if you want to buy the camel thing, that's fine. If you do, that's fine. But study it. Or, or there's another one that says that, that the Hebrew word for camel and the Hebrew word for rope are virtually the same word. They're not the same, but they're very, very close. So was he perhaps saying it's harder to put rope through an eye of a needle than it is for a camel to go through some gate? I don't know. doesn't really matter. But the reality is he's saying it's very, very difficult. He goes on in 26, he says, For those who've heard this ask, who, who then can be saved? I mean, they're listening to him. They said, well, you're, you know, you're painting this picture that's going to be very difficult to, to, for people to be saved. Well, who can be saved then? And Jesus replied, he said this, and this is what he was setting up in this discussion about the eye of the needle, in my opinion. Jesus replied, listen, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Because what he was saying is, just like this young guy, he can have all this stuff, he can have it going on, he can keep the law, he can do all that stuff, but the reality, none of that will save him. None of that will save him. And then he goes on, but he said, you know what? But with man, it is possible with God. So he's starting to picture, paint the picture that, you know, he can do all the stuff he wants to, he can keep the law, he can keep the law of Noah and Moses, but... When it gets right down to it, what's going to happen is it's God that will save him. He won't save himself. 
That's the reality is because what he's starting to paint for us, he's starting to paint a picture, is what will save you, it will be grace. That's what will save you. It's not how good a boy you've been or how many times that you helped the old lady across the street, all of which are worthy. But Peter said to him, he said, we've left, oh, we had to follow you. It's almost like you could hear in his voice like, what have we done? We've left all we have to follow you. And then truly, then Jesus reassures him in verse 29. He said, truly I tell you this, he said, that no one who has left their home or their wife or their brothers or sisters, boy, some of them paid some high prices to be followers in those days, or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in the age. In other words, what he was saying is, you don't have to worry about that because what you see is a sacrifice, and it was a sacrifice for some of them. They, I mean, some of them sacrificed literally their lives. But he was saying, believe me, for whatever it is that you think you're sacrificing here, these treasures that he talked about, he said, you can't imagine how I will bless you in the future. See, in your life, you may have known some rich young rulers, and, and young people listen to this, you may have known some rich young rulers because it seems like that for some people that everything they touch just seemed to work out. You know, they're the queen, they're the king, they're the captain of the team, they're good looking, they don't have, have to have orthodontics, they're attractive, they're athletes, they're cool, all those things. And they look like princes, don't they? They kind of got that because they just, those are people that just really have it going on. You see, this young Jewish man by the standards, he really had the Jewish dream of life. Gosh, he was wealthy, you know, just probably well-dressed, well-taken care of, but he still had this one haunting question. But he said, after this is over, after this life is over, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What about eternal life? I, I keep hearing you talk about this kingdom of God stuff. I want to know, what does that mean to me? How do I do that? What I would ask you would be this. Take a minute and think about your American dream. We talked about that a minute ago, and I said, think about what your American dream is. Take a minute and think about what is your American dream? What are the key components of it when you thought of it earlier? Is it wealth? Maybe not wealth, but be nice to have a little left over after you paid the bills. Maybe it's comfort. Perhaps it's health. Maybe power. I'd like to be the boss of the place, you know, and then I could tell people what to do rather than being told all the time. Or maybe it's a nice family or being respected by others. I'd, love to, I'd just love for people to recognize me and respect me. See, we all, have a, we all have a personal responsibility to know what our American dream is. We need to know that. We have a personal responsibility to know what it is. But the easy way you start to sort it out is a simple question. It's this. Is, is, that, is my American dream based on me serving God or is it based on me serving myself? For much of us Americans, frankly, our American dreams are a whole lot more based on what's it mean to me, 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 than it is about what's it mean to the kingdom. 
But see, we also have a responsibility to others. Scripture often calls them our neighbors in these verses. We also have a responsibility to others. You know, our church motto says that. It says that you love God, you love others, and you serve both. It's, it's succinct. It's, it's easy, but it's so right, I think, according to Scripture. We have a responsibility for others. There were three preachers that decided to go feasting together. There was a Catholic priest, there was an Episcopalian minister, and a Baptist pastor. And they were out in the boat for a while, and they'd been quite a ways from the shore, and, and the Catholic priest said, Whew, I need to go to the bathroom. So he just steps out of the boat, and he walks across the water, does what he needs to over on the shore, and he walks back and gets in the boat. Not much is said. A little while later, the Episcopalian minister, he, he's thinking, oh, i got the same issue, so he gets out of the boat, he walks across the water, he goes to the shore, he walks back, he gets back in the boat. The Baptist preacher, he's aghast. So he thinks about it for a while. He said, you know, the reality is, if they can do it, surely I can do it. I mean, that's faith. If they can do it, I could surely do it. So he steps over the side of the boat, and you already know what happens. He just goes, just sinks. He just goes down. So the Catholic priest looks at the Episcopalian minister. He said, I don't know. Maybe we should have shown him where the rocks were. And see, that's a responsibility we have. Because the responsibility we have is, if you're a believer, we have a responsibility to show other people where the rocks are. We have a responsibility to them to help them understand that when you are thinking about your American dream, you know, if you're a parent and you're coaching up kids, if you're older and you're, you're talking to other adults, maybe it's workmates, but we have a responsibility to help other people in our family, our neighbors, our network, to try to figure out what's really important in life. You know, one of the things with age, age gets you, is age you start to realize how much more important relationships are than stuff. And we have a responsibility to help other people understand what the American dream is, what's important in your life. Yeah, bigger garages, bigger houses, nicer cars, you know, athletic kids, all, yeah, those are wonderful things. But is that what we really want to encourage others to do when we show them where these spiritual rocks in life are, to think about them and help coach them up in their American dream, to know where their values are and what's important and what has eternal significance to people, not just temporary ones. The scripture tells us that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. In Matthew 6, it says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. It's a great litmus test for us. We ought, to, we ought to think, well, where is my treasure? What is the important stuff? And a lot of times it doesn't take very much looking before we start to understand and answer those very quick questions. Where your heart is, there is your treasure also. So we ask the question, well, what stands between me and the Lord? You know, it's a pretty simple formula, right? It's not complicated. Because what we're told in, in order to, 
to, in, to inherit eternal life and to have this relationship with the Lord is, is it tells us in Scripture, it says we're to believe in our heart and we're to confess it with our mouth. It's important. It wasn't meant to be a secret. We're meant to be relational. We're meant to have this other stuff going on. But believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. The commandments then and now we should live by. I go back to the ones that were used when the, when the Pharisee asked him about the commandments. And he said this, he said, this is the, most, this is the principal commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart. So you ask yourself, okay, can you check that block here this morning? Love the Lord with all your heart. Can we check that box? Love the Lord with all your soul. Can we check that box? Can you love the Lord with all your mind? That's pretty much all of you when you think about the three components we have. It's our, it's our heart, our soul, our mind. You know, that, that's kind of, that's our makeup. And then it goes on, and love your neighbor as yourself because we need to show them where the spiritual rocks are. Because I tell you what, if you, if you don't have a good basis, and young people will listen to me again, if you don't have a good basis, it's easy to step off into the deep end. And boy, sometimes it's hard to rescue somebody when they step off into the deep end. So you need to know where the rocks are. You need to know where the boundaries are and the things that you, that'll, that'll keep you on a good path. Accountability are the other things that come with that. Think on your American dreams this morning. Think on your American dream. My hope is, is when you analyze the very simple question, is my American dream have more to do with me or does it really have to do with serving God? My hope is that you'll come down on the, it's all about the serving God relationship. Because the deposits that we'll make here on earth, the deposits we'll make in others, believe me, will be much more critical than the deposits that you make into your bank account. The older you've come, the more you realize that truth. Bow your heads with me as we have the praise team come and close us out. Father, we, uh, we're thankful that you've given us this morning. And Lord, we need an American dream. But what we need to do is we need to, we need to think about what that is. Stuff, it's, you know, it's, stuff's not bad. But see, stuff is made for us. We're not made to just generate stuff and look for stuff and build stuff. But Father, we are called to be your servants to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and to love our neighbors and ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that when we leave this building today, that, that we'll look at our American dream and maybe spend a little time this week and think about what's important and where do my resources go and, you know, do, am I pouring my life and my time into other people and helping them know where the spiritual rocks are to guide their life, Lord. We don't want them off in the deep end. We want them in a safe place. We want, well, we want them to be your guide, not the world to be your guide, not social media to be your guide. Father, we want, we want the, the Holy Bible, your truth, your word to be what guides us. We just pray all these things. You're saying in Jesus' name, the congregation said, Amen.
Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.